Well, you know, I was, I've been wanting to get to a, a certain place. I haven't gotten there yet, but we'll see if we get there today. I was going to give you part two of discovering your divine destiny, um, but instead I'm going to give you 1B today. Is that okay? Because it's just so important. I it's just so important. So many people don't understand what God has assigned them to do and called them to do. So when you begin to talk about destiny, <clears throat> I love the Hebrew word for destiny, derik, and it means pathway or roadway, and it has a beginning point, and that pathway or roadway has turns and valleys and hills, but it also has a destination. And so many times, we as children of God, we as adults, we as teenagers and so on, we're always just not satisfied till we get to a destination, Right? Then we'll get to that destination, we have another destination. Then we have another destination. And the entire time, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves unthankful. There's a book that I started writing almost 10 years ago, I guess. And uh, it talks about, uh, was it cultures? What did I name it? Huh? Yeah, culture collision. And, and, and the tagline is, what do you do when you hate the journey but love the destination? And I think I'm going to finish that book. It's over halfway done. But it's really been kind of a catalog of Steph's life and my life of, man, what a privilege it is to serve God. But sometimes your journey just doesn't feel very good, does it? And really, the reason it doesn't feel very good, it has nothing to do with God or your journey or your assignment. It has to do with your perspective. And when we get our perspective right, and focus right, like Miss Gwen. I told the story a couple weeks ago, ministering that when I was a teenager back in Eastern Kentucky, mom's house was getting flooded, so they raised the house, right? And it was just about this high, and the steel beams were still coming through the house. They had to put block under it, and I always walked my head down, and I'm going around the house for something on a summer day, and boom, man, I about knocked myself out, and I still have a scar to this day. And then it wasn't long after that, I walked around and did it again. You know, because I wasn't focused, I wasn't looking. And she said that she'd put a kettle on the stove that was really hot out of the oven, a skillet, touched it, forgot about it, and burned herself, and it was painful. But she said, I just started laughing. I started thinking about that story you told in your message. I just started laughing away and almost forgot how hot it was. And, you know, I'm over here doing Come back and did it again a second time. And she said, now I'm crying I'm laughing so hard. I even forgot it was hurting me because of, of the, the humor. And, and, you know, our journey has way more to do with us than it does with God. God has already discovered you. He has designed you. He has created you for such a time as this. And he has an amazing plan for you and for your life. And so I'm going to pick up uh, on the last point that I was talking to you about uh, where God has given you desires and he wants to fulfill them. God has given you desire, desires and he wants to fulfill them. I think so many times we're looking at the external things to discover our destiny, our calling, what God put us on this planet for. We use our gifts, our talents, our influence for external things. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's the manifestation of what's on the inside. Because the scripture says, greater is he, is where? He who is in you than he who is in this world. The scripture says, no weapon formed against you can prosper. Who's you? You. 
you, a child of God, a disciple of Christ. Therefore, but it, 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 God is no respecter of persons, but the key is what do we do with those scriptures? Do we have revelation? Do we really believe and trust and know them? Because the more you understand and know, the more you can rise up in spiritual maturity, which comes through knowledge, but also experience and gives you wisdom to begin to access the greater that's in you. And as you begin to operate with the greater one, Holy Spirit that's in you than he or in the God of this world, what happens is you begin to discern what external things you need to be involved in and how to apply them to your life and how you will be fulfilled. And when we begin to think about it, I love this scripture, 2 Thessalonians 1.11 says that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours of yours. In other words, he knows you. He designed you. And you know a scripture that I use all the time here, and I quote it to you a lot, 2 Timothy 1.9, and I want to read it today slower. And it says, who has saved us and called us. The word called, it means, it's kaleo. It means to legally summon or be being chosen. Who has saved. So the same God that has saved you is also the God that has called you. It didn't say the God that has saved you and maybe called you or could call you or could possibly call some or has, no. Whom he has saved, he has called. The conjunction and means the same, doesn't it? It's not minus, it's addition, it's in, in part with. Who has saved us and called us what, with a holy calling. Well, what is holy? Hagios is holiness. And, and hagios is, is the concept of understanding that God is other. What do you mean other? He's other than us. He's other than us in knowledge and power and wisdom and understanding. He's other than us in the way he sees and thinks. He wants us to become like him as other. And our whole journey on this planet is walking through that process of, of, of like a progressiveness of turning more and more like Christ. Now, our spirit, when we're born again, Second uh, Corinthians uh, five seventeen says, "Whom he, whoever is saved, is what becomes a new creature or creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new." How many of y'all know when you gave your life to Christ, everything hadn't passed away? And the more you're in this thing, it was kind of easier to get through a lot of that when you were a young Christian. But the more mature you get, the more you know how it hurts when that happens and what could happen. Oh my goodness, I don't want to touch the skillet or hit the beam again, right? I don't want that lesson again, Lord, right? And, and what I want you to understand, the concept that God is other, he is separate, he is hagios, he is holy. And he says, look at this now, this is so powerful. Whom he is, he, who he has saved and called, uh, he has saved and called us with a holy calling. Now, now you, gotta, you gotta, when you read something, you gotta read it. He said what? With, alongside, a part of us. So he didn't just call you to something without giving you the tools, the power, the, the influence to do it. 
He, he gives you access to all of those things. When you get the understanding that you are born again, you're blood-bought, and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When you pass away, if you do that before the rapture, you're going to be with the Lord, right? And so what we got to understand is, guys, in this concept of destiny, of derik, of an assignment throughout your life, multiple assignments as you go on this journey to an ultimate destination, until you get to heaven, you're going to be fulfilling Curve after curve, hill after hill, valley after valley, mountaintop after mountaintop. And, and you're just going to be going and going and going and going. And it's going to take your perspective to understand no matter what comes my way, not only am I saved and called, but I'm called with a Godhead calling. I'm called with Hagios calling, Theos, Father, Son, Holy Spirit calling. Look, and then it says, not according to. Thank goodness that I was not called to minister according to my works. Because I could never work or be good enough or smart enough or, or blessed enough on my own without him. But who has called us what? According to, not called us according to our works, but. Now see, that's not and, is it? But. But's not and. When your kids, but, but, but. No, no, no. Don't say but to me, sir. But mom, mom, no, 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 just nod your head up and down and you'll, be, you'll, you'll save yourself some punishment. <laughs> according to what? Not according to our works, but what? According to his own purpose and grace. Purpose, prothesis, and you've heard me teach this before in the Greek. What's it mean? Pro means before or with. Thesis means a deliberate design. So in a with a deliberate design in a before place and time, God gave you your purpose. Yes. I just don't know, preacher, that I can believe that. Well, you believe John 3, 16. Yes. I mean, you drink white milk, it comes out of a brown cow, lives in a red barn, and eats green grass. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's lots of things I don't understand, but I trust and I believe. And what we got to know and trust and believe that according to his own prothesis in a previous place before he designed you and created you because <clears throat> you're that significant to him. Whether you ever come to him or not, he's no respecter of persons. Every person born on this planet has a purpose. Amen. Not just a human person purpose, but a God purpose. Amen. His own purpose and grace which was given us, we know what grace, unmerited favor, so many other attachments to that, which was given to us, what, in, not by. So you gotta read the word. Was it given to us by Christ Jesus? Why was it given to you in Christ Jesus? Because the Bible says in Christ Jesus is what? The hope of glory. <clears throat> What's well, glory? God's manifested presence. God's seen. God made visible. <clears throat> And when we begin to put this together, it's why it's such a life scripture for me. And, and he's, what has he done? And grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. Now think about that. Well, why is it in? Because Romans 5 said, we were born sinners, right? You know what sin is? It's not your cursing. We call it that. And cursing is, I guess, sin, whatever. It is, yeah, I don't want to get you confused, whatever, whatever. Whatever hurts your influence and impedes your heart is sin. Is that easier? And, and, and so whenever we see this, uh, oh, what was I talking about right before I got on that? Religious. Huh? 
Yeah, we're in Jesus Christ, hope of glory, right? So in his manifested presence, oh, I know what I say. So the first Adam, the Bible says in Romans 5 that the first Adam, what, sinned, he and Eve, and that's when we received what debt, the assignment of sin. Sin is actually defined as separation from God. Anything that impedes your heart and pulls you the opposite direction of God is sin. I told you some people can do some things and you can't. They can just do it and you can't. God dealt with you. You can't find it a sin in the Bible, but Holy Spirit, put it in your heart like Samson. You can't do that. You, you know, so we all have the basic scripture of right and wrong and 10 commandments and all that, but we also have assignments on our life and, and God wants to influence us in such a way so that we can influence his purpose, not our purpose. In, 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 to, to bring his plan into action, not our plan. So that we have his impact and not our impact. In other words, we have his works working through us versus us working with our works. Hmm. So who are you working with? Your works or grace? Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So it says, which has given, past tense again, look at this, past tense, which has given us, oh, and then I was going, Romans 5 talks about, and Jesus, the second Adam came, the Christ. Okay, so this is, which was given us in, in, so that's why we get in. You are saved by Jesus. Why do we say in Jesus' name? Grace, there's more than, you know, grace, we look at it in the Greek and stuff, and you see adjectives and verbs, and then there's a noun also. Jesus is grace. You are saved by grace through faith. You are saved by Jesus through faith. He is the gift of God. He is the grace of God that's given us. If you read Romans 5 really in detail to help you understand that more. But grace which was given us in Christ Jesus. When now? When? Before time began. Just let that sit there a minute. Well, God, what, what's your plan for me? I'm young, I'm middle-aged, I'm old. No, you can start right where you're at today. It, it takes you being in Christ, working with his purpose, working with his grace. In Christ is the hope of glory, the Bible says. <clears throat> so you have God's works manifest versus your works manifesting. <clears throat> And as you begin to understand that, you then tap into, through Scripture, through your prayer time, through relationship with God, through trial and error, and through the desires in your heart, and all these different things that you begin to walk out, and you, you get on this journey with God, and it can seem like you're, you're never going to come out of this valley. Before you know it, you're on a mountaintop. But the problem is, there's another valley before you get to the next mountaintop, Right? And so it's really critical, guys, to understand and get a mindset that it's not about me. It's about him and others. Amen. His anointing is on me for my sake, in me for my sake, but on me for the sake of others. His giftings are in you for your sake, but they're to be used on the behalf of others. Your talent is yours. It's in you. He gave it to you, but he gave it to you what? To give honor to him and to serve others. That's why when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? The greatest commandment was uh, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, and mind. 
And the second one, one that's one, and this is one B, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you got a nice neighbor, you don't have a problem with that. But if you got a neighbor you don't want to live by, you go, I, I'm going to love them. My God, they don't even mow their grass. You ever see that commercial? Oh, God, these commercials drive me crazy. I only see them when I watch sports because I refuse to watch stuff that I got to watch commercials on. And so, so just, just a pet peeve of mine. I think that 15 minutes or 30 minutes of that program, I could, that's my life. I don't want to give it to some advertisement. But anyway, that's another story. So uh, you ever see that commercial? It's pretty funny where it's like these two commentators live beside this new couple and it's an insurance plan or something. Right? And it's go, well, look at them. They're out there and it's like they're doing their leaves and they make a comment about the leaves and then, you know, then they see them out back doing yoga and said, well, I never took them for a yogi. And, and she, he, she said, wow, I never took them for a yogi. And he said, well, I still don't believe they are. But it was like, it was like com, sports commentators commentating on several things about these people's lives. And what we got to understand is, guys, we're not here to, con, uh, to comment on what God's purpose is for us. We're not here to be a commentator. We're here to be a participator. You're here to be a participator. Lord, what is my will? You don't have a will. Uh, God, what's my will? You don't have a will. Dead men and dead women don't have a will. Why would you have a will when you died to yourself and gave your life to Christ? Well, that, that, what do I mean? I gotta go to China and be a missionary. I gotta be a monk. What do I gotta do? Live in a mountain? No. You partner with grace in Christ Jesus to tap into before time began. God created you, Genesis 1 says what? In his own image, in his own likeness, in our own image, in our own likeness have we created them, both male and female. We have put them in charge of what? The fish of the, the, fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and everything that creeps on the earth, go forth and subdue. He yes. didn't say sit in my garden and enjoy it forever. He said, I'm letting you experience the garden in me. And he walked in the cool of the day with them every day, but he had a purpose that they go forth and pursue. Anyway, it's one of my favorite scriptures. Let me go back to where I was. <clears throat> so as, we, as you think about this, I'm just trying to get your mindset wrapped around this. That discovering your true destiny involves discovering the desires given to you in your heart from the Heavenly Father. What are the desires? You see, the church does a horrible job at picking civic leaders and, and, and corporate people and business owners and get them to walk away from everything to come and work in a church. They don't have as much influence doing your accounting as they do, you know, Fortune 500 companies accounting where they can win someone to the Lord. Now, if God, God does call some to come in, obviously we have that here, and that's good, but they, they know it. They know their destiny, know their calling. But, but a lot of church leaders try to pull everybody out of your specialty, your talent, your gifting, and get you to have more impact in the four walls. That's not the way God set this thing up. God set this thing up to take our impact into the world. Can somebody say amen? 
whether it's running a restaurant, whether it's running a law firm, whether it's running a landscaping company, whether it's working in the factory, whatever it is, we do it at what we teach people. It's a, well, you know, I don't know. It's been hard and I'm a new Christian. I'm working really hard. Well, you know, your problem, son. Well, what is that? You, the Bible says work as unto the Lord. You're not doing that job for yourself. You're doing it for the heavenly father. You're not, you're not on that assembly line for yourself. You're not digging that ditch. You do it with excellence and you do it as unto the Father. Well, how about you live as unto the Father? See, what I want you to realize is everyone that is saved is called. And the journey you've been on in your life, God can switch it whenever he wants, and he already knows it, and the purpose he's put in you, they come attached with desires. If the desire wasn't there, you wouldn't be operating that purpose. But we live and operate in certain purposes. What? Because of the desires that God placed in us before time began. Now, the key is which desires are of God and of ourselves and of the world. And that's where being with Christ helps you discern that. I always tell people, and I've done this for years, back from, gosh, almost 30 years ago when I was a youth pastor, well, 30-some years ago. And they said, well, how do I know God, I feel God's calling me to go be a youth pastor at this church in this state, or be a pastor, or be a missionary, or he's calling me to, you know, leave work and go minister in this neighborhood. I said, well, it's really simple. It's three things you got to make sure you have in alignment. And, and I began to talk to them about if you go to a location and to a certain people that God's called you to, but you haven't prepared, you will kill the people or kill the ministry. If you go to a group of people to a certain location that God's called you to, at the wrong time, those people unintentionally can destroy your calling. And the words are preparation, obedience, and timing. Whenever we understand and prepare ourselves, like whenever Steph and I shared it, whenever we knew it was time to, to, to leave the ministry, we were great ministry we were part of in Columbus, Ohio. We knew seven years prior, but we didn't know when. And then when God said go, it was going so good, we're like, you sure? <laughs> we're Five years previous that, I was moaning and groaning at God in my prayer life all the time. I thought you said we'd be called and playing the church at Lexington. Here I am, still on staff, working 70 hours a week. What, Lord? And the Lord would constantly remind me, Linda, he'd constantly remind me, as you honor this man's vision, others will honor your vision. And it always stuck. Brother Shambach, one of my grandfathers of the faith, always said, you enter the next place the way you left the previous place. If you were questioning and angry and grumpy there, you'll be angry and grumpy wherever you are. If you blew up that marriage and you don't get some work done, you'll blow up the next marriage. If you blew up that relationship, you'll blow up the next relationship. It's the same in ministry. It's the same in life. It's the same in careers. You keep jumping jobs, not because it's an upward movement. It can be lateral or less because I just didn't get along with them. I'm going to go to this factory. I'm going to go to this law firm. I'm, and what happens is you're missing your calling. You're, you're stepping out of God's will, God's plan for you. But as you hear the voice of the Lord, and are intimate with him, and you are with Christ Jesus, right? With him, in him, and allow him to lead and steer and guide you. Then you'll always be in his plan. And I know a lot of denominations and non-denominations and faith churches and non-faith or so on 
teach, you know, well, God has a permissive will. No, he doesn't. Find it for me. It's not scriptural. Well, you know, Romans 12, 2 talks about, yeah, it does. Be you not conformed to this world, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. He didn't say or perfect will. In other words, when you're in his good, acceptable will, you're in his perfect will. And he only has one will. Why would God have three wills? He's God and God all alone. He's other. He's separate. He's hagios. He's holy. He's omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful. Why, why, why would he have three different streams that he's going to give you? You know, you're going to work on a C level, a B level, or an A level. It's called working in all-in level. It's called being dead in Christ, our hope of glory. I love this scripture. I don't know if I read it to you today, but God wants to fulfill your dreams and desires and passions. 2 Thessalonians 1.11, I read it last week. I know that just part of the scripture, that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours. The reason it's your purpose is the purpose he gave you, not because you came up with it, right? And as we begin to understand that, God begins to bless it. Let's, let's look at... Uh, Oh, I love this scripture, Rome, uh, Psalms 12, uh, 21, 2. You have given him his heart's desire, and you have not withheld the request of his lips. In other words, we're going to find out our calling, our purpose, our plan by being in Christ and Christ in us, the hope of glory, and us walking it out with him. And then eventually you will know, but you know. Then there'll be a while you'll be doing it, and you go, wait a minute, I, I don't feel as comfortable. God, is this still what you want me to do? Is this how you want me to do it, right? Song of Solomon 7.10, <clears throat> I am my beloved's, beloved's, and his desire is for me. So we want to operate in his desire. We want to operate in his plan and purpose for our lives. Can anybody say amen? amen. See, God places the passions that are godly passions in every one of us. When you gave your life to Christ, what got born again? So, if you were dead and now you're alive, so if something got born again, it had to be dead. Right? The Bible says you are spirit uh, in John's gospel. I believe it's chapter five, whatever. It says that I pray, Paul said, no, First Thessalonians 3, I think it is. Paul said, I pray for your W-H-O-L-E, so spirit, spirit so embodied that it be found blameless in that day. In other words, we're not just a two-part, you know, flesh and blood and then kind of spirit and souls all mixed in there. If you study the scripture, and there's great books on this, you'll realize you are a spirit, you possess a soul, you live in a body. Your soul is your decision-making resources. That's the transformation in Christ, the hope of glory that takes place. And then we begin to think more like him and act more like him and plan more like him. And the more we're with him and in him and walking with him, the more clarity we'll get and the more passion and fire and desire we'll have to do what he's put inside us or placed inside us. And he desires whatever he put in you to be fulfilled. Living in, God's, uh, living in God's will is simply living the giftings and the desires he created within us. 
living in the living in the giftings and desires, the talents he put in us. A slave waits to be told what to do. A lot of Christians, you know, they just wait. God, you'll wake me up if I really need to do it. God, if you really want me to pray, you'll get me out of bed. Well, Lord, you know, if you really want me to give, you'll just make it where I'm so convicted I have to give. No, that's a slave mentality. I'm not going to do anything until I'm told to do it. Another mentality uh, uh, is this. A son uses his gifting to do what? A son or daughter uses their giftings to expand the father's business, the father's kingdom. We're not slaves. We're sons and daughters. We're family. And the spirit that was abiding in a state of death, John chapter 3 says, when you're born again, you can see the kingdom of God. When you're born again, you can enter the kingdom of God. But it can only, Jesus said, it can only come through what being born again, operating beyond your old stinking thinking and my old stinking thinking. Operating beyond what our body is capable of, but tapping into the eternal purpose, plan, and power of a heavenly father that gave his only son for us, that loves us unconditionally, just the way we are, not the way we or anyone else thinks we should be. When we pursue the godly desires placed within us, what do we do? We are serving God's will from passion, not duty. I love Lexington. I love the people here. But when we were called to come to a city, as great a city as this is, I would have went to a coast somewhere where it's warm me around. Just be honest, not honest with you. I would have went somewhere near a beach. We would have been a beach church. I'm just telling you, I know this white boy, I, I, love, I love that sun, I love that, this soaking soda step, water. I could sit by a water hole or a mud hole and get calm. I just love water. And, and so, if I got to do my desire, I didn't have any family here. Steph didn't have any, she's from Columbus, she's from three and a half hours away. I was two and a half hours from Eastern Kentucky. We were in Columbus, we met and married. We, the only thing that could bring us here was God. Thank God it was here, not Timbuktu, wherever that is. You heard that as a kid. You're going to get, I'm going to kick you to Timbuktu. Well, I don't really want you to kick me, but I don't know how far is Timbuktu. Oh, stop it. Just seeing if you were awake. So let me end with this. Show you someone discovering his destiny. Let's look at Jacob for just a minute. I'll give you some highlights. Jacob discovering his destiny. So Jacob experienced three significant events that propelled him into his destiny. Three significant events in his life. Never underestimate those God moments. Never underestimate those events when you know nobody could ever talk you out of it. God said it. I felt God speak to me. I felt God lead me. I know that I know it was him. I know that it was Holy Spirit. Even though it didn't work out the way I thought it should. You know, maybe I was out of time. Maybe I wasn't prepared. Whatever. Maybe I went to the wrong people instead of the right people. I don't, but, but you got to understand, you know that event you had with God. And no one can take that from you. Just like when you had an event of salvation, right? So Jacob experienced three events in the beginning of his life that set him up to live forever for God. The first one was a supernatural encounter with God in Genesis 28. And Jacob, so we see, I won't go through all that, but in Genesis 28, when he had that encounter with God, remember, and God reminded him that he's a third generation to receive the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. And he called that place Bethel, didn't he? He wrestled with God there. And he was at Penal, that means place of, 
I forget, something almost like cleansing. I forget the actual, actual word for it. But, but at that certain place, and he had a dream, and the dream shows God assuring him that God is the Lord of the past, the present, and the future. In other words, Jacob had been running from his brother and, and of his father's house because he stole his uh, rights, you know, his uh, inheritance, and went to crazy Laban and the uh, brother-in-law to his mom. And, you know, he basically had him in slavery for 21 years. He finally got to marry Rebecca. Now they're coming back, and now he's worried about his life. You know, his brother has a huge army of men. Is he going to kill me or receive me when I come in? But the dream shows God assuring him that he is the Lord of the past. The same God, the Bible says, yesterday, today, and forever. God reaffirmed that his descendants would be scattered as the dust of the ground from the north, the south, the east, and the west. What? Because he was part of the Abraham covenant. Now think about him. Here he is. Man, his mom controlled him. You know, he was more mama's boy. And, and uh, what was the hairy one's name? Esau. Esau was daddy's boy. And they, they tricked his dad on the bed, right? Whenever, uh, whenever they went the blessing, she put a fur, a fur on him and made him, because he, he wasn't furry like he saw and all that, stole his rights. Now, he was manipulated by his mom, hated by his brother and family at the time, had to leave and go live with crazy Laban and that whole mess over there in a whole other country. Got lied to, cheated on, even though he did good stuff. I bet, you know, he, he worked seven years for Rebecca to be his wife. And in the night in the tent, when they brought her in, they brought her sister in Leah. So he laid with Leah instead of Rebecca. He got a Leah instead of Rebecca. So Leah must not have been a hot chick. I don't know. Something wasn't there. But anyway, it, it wasn't good when the light, when the sun come up, he was mad and he went to Laban. Why did you give me Leah? I, I'm in love with Rebecca. Work seven more years and I'll, I'll give her to you. Isn't that something? And so he was betrayed. He worked seven, then he had to work seven to get Leah, and he had to work seven to finally get his Rebecca. And then what happens? Then Laban's getting concerned. He's ready to kill him because he's realizing that everything this kid touched grows. His sheep have grown, you know, a thousandfold, his business, his, his people, his families. But Jacob knew, I have to get out of here. And he said, well, I want to leave. I want to go back home. He said, well, well, you can't take my family. He said, yeah, I'm going to take the family. He said, well, you can't take any sheep. He said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll just take the, the certain spotted ones, the certain ones that don't look perfect. And ended up being a big blessing taking those. He knew what he was doing. But he's on his way, and here he is being sought after by his father-in-law to kill him. He's got his brother waiting to kill him, and he's got his family. And here he is. It's like, now what? But God, sometimes you have to go through a situation you feel like you're going to die to get to the destination in the next location of your purpose in God. Sometimes he allows us to go through junk so he can get junk out of us. Sometimes he allows you to go into murkiness and unclarity because you're not seeing the thing he wants you to see. So he'll let you go into a murky time and, and, and a season where you don't have understanding and you feel like that, you know, that picture on your grandma's wall, right? You know, the picture of Jesus walking in sand with someone, right? And then the guy is in the picture, right? And it's got the little quotes on it. And then it has two sets of feet prints, right? And then all of a sudden it has just one. And he said, see, Jesus, I thought you were with me. When the hard times come, I just see one set of footprints. And the little quote says, because I carried you through them. We don't even understand when God's carrying us and protecting us and guiding us and leading us because it don't look like we think it should. It don't feel like we think it. It's not as comfortable as we think it is. It, you know, it's not as pleasant as we think it is. 
You think it was pleasant for Abraham to take his only son and take him up on the mountain of Moriah to sacrifice him to the Lord? It wasn't pleasant. I think it was pleasant, man, for, for, for Jacob to come back and be leaving one group that's going to kill him, go into another. It wasn't pleasant. I think it was pleasant for Joseph to go from the, 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 the pit, slavery, and then to the palace, and then to the jail, and then back into it. It wasn't pleasant. But Joseph, and I was going to get to this, this, this is next time, I guess. But what Joseph learned through all that, he forgave his brothers through that because he knew that if they had not uh, tried to kill him and throw, well, they were afraid to kill him, so he threw him in the pit and sold him in slavery. If they had not sold him in slavery, he would have not have been a, the number two ruler in Egypt under Pharaoh, and his entire nation would have starved to death because Jacob was over it, and they had no food. But for Joseph, the son that was put in the pit, sold into slavery, and abused time and time again, and kept coming back because God had a plan in his life. And what brought Jacob back? Listen, I think I'm called. Good. I think I'm anointed. Good. I think I'm called to preach. Good. I think I'm called to be a prophetess or prophet. Good. Whatever. I think I'm a lot of things I'm not. And I think, and I, and I don't think I'm certain things that I am. It doesn't really matter what you think. It matters what he thinks. It really matters what he thought. What, what are you saying, Pastor? It matters what he thinks, not, not what we think. Because what brought Joseph out of each time of slavery and then being in Potiphar's house? Wisdom, leadership, gifts that God put in him. He didn't go to Carnegie School or nothing like that or Harvard. He became a great leader, a great business person. He became very spiritual and had spiritual dreams and interpretation of dreams. What got him out of the jail? Dreams. Interpretation of dreams. But if he'd just been great at dreaming and interpretation of dreams, Pharaoh put him up there, put him in leadership. If he'd done bad, he'd killed him or put him back into jail. That's why it's so important. Don't just take one aspect of what you sense or feel about yourself. Look at the whole package God's got to work with. If you can't win your family, you can't win your neighborhood. If you can't win your neighborhood, you can't win your city. If you can't win your city, you can't win your nation. A good test is when I have the pressure to perform or to do something, is it a God gift, a talent that comes out of me? It's like David. He was smart enough to know he had events with God, didn't he? He killed the bear and the lion with his own hands. He has a little slingshot. Saul tried to put his armor on him. Saul was a huge man, one of the tallest men in the nation. And, and they was like, this don't fit. This don't work. I'm just going to take what I have. I'm just going to use, I'm gifted with a slingshot. And he took those three smooth stones and boom, killed the giant Goliath. If he'd went out there in Saul's armor, he'd gotten killed. But he knew God enough because he'd had multiple events with God to where he knew what talent and giftings that God had given him and he used them and he gained influence. I'm, here's what I'm trying to tell you is whatever your destiny is, it will tell on itself. Whatever your calling is, it will. I know, man, when I was called, I got saved. I was so on fire. You know my story. I totaled three cars, partied out of two colleges. I was a mess. Got saved on right the next day or two after my 21st birthday. 
Actually, the next day after it. Right when I could legally go to bars, I got saved. Oh, me. Didn't mean anything after I got saved. But boy, I was waiting to 21. I was tired of fake ID and it all the time. I was glad now. Good to be 21. So as I'm 21, I gave my life to Christ. And I didn't know everything about it. But I remember at Little Nazarene Church, you know, we always had testimony time, right? You have the hymns, they'll pass the offering and hold their eyes so nobody, you know, little old thing, you couldn't put more than $10 in that little thing they passed around. And I love my heritage. I love the people there. And uh, I'd stand up. I'd hear somebody testify how good the devil was all week. Oh, my God, I got that hip pain back again. Oh, my neck pain's back. My teeth's late coming in. Some other, there's this one old guy. I was such a whoremonger. And he started telling what kind of whoremonger he was. Every son, my mom found said, I wish Aaron would just shut up. I'm tired. We know you were a whoremonger. You're saved now. Just shut up. And she wouldn't say that about anybody. But everybody, and then you'd have a few get up and well testify about the glory of God. So I wouldn't want to say nothing. Wouldn't, I was, my chest was bursting and I'd be shaking. I had to get up and testify. Do it real quick. Sit down. Done that a couple of times. Them little ladies said, mm-hmm. A month later, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> doing it a little more. Uh-huh. Then they grab me by, you know you're called to preach. I'm like, I don't want to preach. I was just saved. But your gift makes room for you. Your, your calling tells on itself if you're listening. It speaks to other people. If you're a leader, look over your shoulder. If no one's following you, you're not a leader. You don't even have to be a great leader to be a leader, but a leader is a leader. You don't have to be a great dog to be a great dog. You just have to be a dog. You don't have to be a great cat to be a great cat. You just have to be a cat. You don't have to be a great called man or woman of God. You just got to be a called man or woman of God. Your gifts, your talents tell on you. And the more you work at with God, the more it comes out. So anyway, I got to quit. Almost anyway. So we see here, that, that this is a time where the dream assures him, God reaffirms about his calling with the descendants. And, and that's still out there. He just believed it and put a stone there, called it Bethel. Then we see the second event he had was a name change, an identity change. And you got to understand in Israel, that's a huge, huge deal. Your name says everything about you. In Genesis 32, 27, Jacob, asked, uh, uh, Jacob was asked by God, Jacob asked God, what is your name? Or God asked Jacob, what is your name? And Jacob had to answer, Jacob. He didn't want to name it, say it, because that means deceiver or supplanter, manipulator. He had to identify with who he was before he became transformed into who he's called to be. You're not who you will be and you never will be until you're with him. You're on a, de- you're on a journey to a destination. It's a destiny roadway, a destiny path. Then in 28, Jacob receives the new, uh, Genesis 20, verse 28, God gives him a new name, Israel. Means prince with God. Prince with God. Now that's a, that's a big upgrade. Deceiver, supplanter, and prince with God. And now we know that's where the name of the nation of Israel's name. 
So we have to recognize who we are without Christ before we can be transformed. Before we can receive our new name as God's prince or princess called alongside him. Then the third one, and I'll end with this, that he had, he received confirmation of his destiny. So, so look at this process with these three events. The first time he's running for his life, major crisis, and God begins to tell him about his destiny and his calling. The second time, he has an identity change. He was dead and now he's alive. He was a deceiver and now, what? He's a prince. Now look at the third one. Now he knows all that, but here comes the confirmation of his destiny. In Genesis 35, 10 through 12, I won't read them, God reaffirms the Abrahamic covenant with Jacob. He also affirms the changing of his name from Jacob to Israel. God desires to reaffirm his covenant and calling and giftings. He's also placed in you and upon you. He wants to confirm it. He wants you to walk in the process of discovery, the process of finding out what your destiny is and how important it is. Just as he is no respecter of any persons, he doesn't respect Jacob, Abraham, Peter, Paul, or John, or any other, any other monkeys or beetles. Remember the Peter, Paul, the monkeys, the whole group. Anyway, just, just seeing if you were awake. Any of the apostles or disciples, he didn't care. He, we're his kids. And we have assignments. In Luke 6, 13, he called the 12 disciples and he designated them apostles, which means sent ones. The word designated is a, to designate is a, an accounting term that something is set aside for a specific purpose at a later time is what it means. And he called them, he called them that and he designated them and called them apostles, sent ones to be set aside, what? Until he rose from the dead. And like you, like you would set aside money in your bank account and savings or whatever towards something special, but it's designated for your house payment or it's designated for a vacation or for school for your children or whatever, that's the same way, even though it's designated for a specific purpose, that's the way God does with us. He sets up certain things in your life that you haven't seen yet or you don't know, you haven't felt, you haven't operated, you haven't experienced it, but he set it aside on the inside of you because he put it all in there before you were ever born or created before time began. He made it and created it and it's all right there. And whenever it's time for that particular designated purpose to take a place, that's when it'll take place. I know, I need to pray. I, I, I know whenever I did find out I was called to preach and all that, I knew I was called to pastor, all this stuff, I was really like, man, I just need to plant a church here in Ines, Kentucky, population 600. The whole county at that time had about 17,000 people. That's where I wanted to plant my church because I'd be with my family. And my mom was nice. Well, I know you're called a pastor, but maybe you need to just, you know, give us some time. And I remember I went down to Rock Castle Creek and looked at this little old dumpy metal building, that garage that somebody had closed. I said, come on, mom, let's go look at it. Oh my God, this could be a church. I could see this. I could see that. And I know she's just sitting there going, that ain't it, son. <laughs> Mama was smart, right? And I, I was like, but, but then, you know, business was happening. I was growing in business and a Christian business person and all that. And now I was preaching for churches and I was doing all that. And eventually God called me out of business into full-time ministry and I had to go away to college and all that. And that's where I met Steph and Abraham. But if you told me I'd be living in fancy Lexington, 
Because that's where all the educated and wealthy kids go is Lexington, right? Or the people that want to be when you're coming from Eastern Kentucky to get out of the coal fields. And I love my heritage there. But I mean, it's Lexington. It used to be Columbus for two generations ago. Now it's Lexington in this area. And, and, and in that, I would have never thought I'd be here. I would have, I would never dream we built a, back then, 17 years ago or whatever, a $7.8 million facility. I wouldn't have, before we're six years old, I would have never dreamed that hundreds of people would be sitting in the seats every week listening to a little hillbilly boy like me. I never would have dreamed that. I never would have dreamed that I've laid hands on the sick and they recovered, saved tens of thousands to the Lord over my lifetime and over ministry. I, I never would have dreamed that I could put my hand on the back when God wills and, and bones begin to move. And some of you, one lady in this church grew an inch or two. People in here, you've had miracles. Deaf ear, Ashley over there, back there, had a deaf ear open. I, I never would have, who would have ever thought something like that? Sandy, I would have, you never thought coming out of jail and coming out of the lifestyle you did, now you're serving God and preaching in jails and getting men saved every week. Who would ever thought that about you? Your family, you probably like me, they say he won't live long. They never thought I'd live out of my teenage years, but here I am. Because no matter how much I blew it, I'd eventually humble myself and pray. Forgive me, Lord, for being an idiot. Help me. Help me out of this. Help me to know your plan. I, I, I'm tired of, like Jacob, I'm tired of wrestling with you. Just touch me. There's things, Steph, and I wrestle, right? We want to do this or we want to do that. And God said, not now. No, can't do that. And other things we get to do. Just like you, you're in a place in your life where he's designated aspects of your purpose for a future date, for something to be applied to. And you're anxious and frustrated because you know he said this about you and that, and you don't see it. You'll see it when he needs it. You'll see it when he needs it. And you will know that you nobody could ever convince me now. I'm not called. I backslid for eight months running from the calling of God after I was on fire for God. This is for somebody. So I'll never forget, and I love my church. My pastor, Art Harbors, is the most amazing pastor ever in Nazareth, just a great people. And I'll never forget, I, was, I kept wanting him to tell me, everybody else tell me I'm called to preach. Why won't Pastor Art? And he was mentoring me. I was at his house three or four times a week. Why is it Pastor Art? I talked to him up. Why is it Pastor Art told me I'm called? I feel called. You, you feel I'm called. But why didn't Pastor Art told me I'm called, Mom? I don't understand it. And one night on a Sunday night service, the anointing hit that place. There's about 60 people, 70. And... Uh, if you're called, well, what had happened was, it, what had happened was, when I backslid, I went to a friend's funeral. I lived in this big house I owned with Corvette and race team and all this. And I, and I went to the funeral of this friend who was older than me that was out cheating on his wife drunk and got killed in a car wreck. And I hated that because I loved the guy. And I'm, I'm walking around that, that house and I'm like, man, I'm rich. I'll, I'll never want for anything. I'm, I've got this business. I've got three states. I've got stuff going. I'm 20, 23 now, and things are going good. And then all of a sudden, conviction came on me. I started crying. And then I'd try to go. I'd get up at 430 every morning, go look at my jobs, and I, and I, I, I couldn't sleep. And days went by and days, and God said, I'm calling you home. And days went by and days. I remember one night, and I, I, I'm the transparent preacher. 
You might want to put your fingers in your ears. I remember I had guys working three different shifts, and I remember I had to go to a friend of mine that was a doctor. I said, what's going on, Lonnie? What's going on? I'm going crazy. I, can't, I haven't slept for four or five days. I, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. He said, well, I don't know. I said, but I'll, I'll give you a shot, and you'll sleep tonight. So he gave me something to knock me out. It didn't knock me out. I'm laying on my sofa in my big old A-frame. I'm there, and I'm, oh, God, I'm just convicted, you know. Didn't understand this conviction. And who comes on my big screen television? I had a big screen back then when people didn't have big old box, big screen. Who came on? Billy Graham, of all people, preaching the gospel. I was so convicted. I'd see those eyes, that wavy hair. I'm just laying there on the couch. I probably would have just got saved right then, Miss Linda. And then knock on the door, a couple guys. Hey, man, what are you doing? We're on the way home. Hey, we brought some beers. I was smoking a couple joints. We'll go home. We smoked a couple joints. I couldn't even get high. I was so convicted I couldn't even get high. For you all that's partied, you know what that means. The rest of you, just don't judge me. That's the dead me. So anyway, you couldn't even get high, Rick. I couldn't get high. So I'm now, and they leave, and guess what? Billy Graham's doing his altar call. Oh, God, I got to go to bed. I just got to turn it off and went because now I just drink beer and smoke pot. I can't, can't get saved now. Right? Because you got to get yourself ready, right? Clean yourself up which is lie from hell. So I'm laying in my big bed in my pretty home, finally fall asleep. I don't know, probably sleep two, three hours. All of a sudden, God wakes me up. I'm laying there. I'm like, wait a minute, I was asleep. <laughs> Been wanting this. He said, are you ready to come home to me? And I said, what do you mean, Lord? Are you ready to give your life to me? Come back to me. I said, yes, Lord, I will, I will. You got to help me, but... I promise you I will. He said, no, I want you to do it right now. I said, what do you mean, Lord, right now? It's like three or four in the morning. I want you to do it right now. And I'm like, I promise you, Lord, I'll do it tomorrow. He said, no, go knock on your mother's door right now and ask her to pray with you, which was about five miles from me. And I said, God, I don't want to wake her up. He said, if you don't do it now, you'll never do it. Now, he wasn't saying that he was, I was blaspheming. He knew my heart, if I had worked through that conviction that strongly and kept my heart would start to harden. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I'll get up now. And he said, oh, and another thing, kind of way he talks to me. He said, I want you to get up Sunday morning, Sunday, I mean, and tell them you're called to preach in the church. I'm like, oh my God, they know I've been out backslid and running around being an idiot for eight months and I said, okay, Lord, because, you know, he tells you <laughs> it's about over if you don't. And I went and knocked on mom's door. She thought somebody had been in a wreck and died. And I'm crying. And she said, what's wrong? I said, I got to get saved. And she cries. And then we get in her living room. She's praying, calls Pastor Art. She's praying with us. And he's praying. I get saved. And I go to church and uh, stand up and say I'm called. But here's what's crazy. Right before I backslid, Right before, eight months earlier, there was a Sunday night service in that church, and anyone that you know that you know, people are convicted, powerful. If you know you're called to preach or you're seeking it out, come to the altar. Well, me and this other guy came, and we kneeled at the kneeling table. We're crying, and this guy was up in a school system and, you know, taught and Sunday school and all that. And brother so-and-so, and I'm like, oh, God. And I was just about to say, okay, Lord, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And about that time, pastor stood up and said, I just want brother so-and-so to testify. 
And he started crying, I'm called to preach. I know. And I thought, oh, I was just being convicted for brother so-and-so. I guess I'm not called. So you think you can be stupid? I've been stupider than you could ever be stupid. <laughs> Dumber than you could ever be dumb. And I backslid not long after that and just ran from God. But God. But God. I just want to ask you right now, every head bowed and every eye closed. Anybody running from God right now? If you are, just raise your hand. I want to pray. You're running from God. You know that you know you're running from God this morning. I want to ask you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you right where you are. Thank you for that hand back there, ma'am. Anybody else? You're running from God. She's the bravest woman in the house. And you say, man, I, I need to get back in my relationship with him. Or maybe come to him. Thank you, sir, back there. Or come to him for the first time. Gentleman over here and lady over here. Thank you, sir. Over there too. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Hallelujah. That's three people. I know there's more, but I'm going to count to three and just ask you that have raised your hand. Stand up. I just want, nobody's looking around, just me. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Yeah, they're already standing up. Just stand on up. One, two, three. Just stand up. Just stand up. Just stand up. Just stand up. Hallelujah. How about this? Just come on down here. I want to pray with you. Can I, can I have the honor of praying with you? Can I have the honor of praying with you? Hallelujah. Come on, sweetheart. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on, praise God. Come on, sweetheart. Hallelujah. You're getting ready to come home today. Getting ready to come home today. Oh, praise God. Come on, sir. Come on over here, buddy. Come on over here. Come on over here. Come here. Love you, buddy. God bless you, man. God bless you. Love you, man. Love you. Love you. Now, y'all can face me. Anybody else, just while they're doing this, just run on up here. Let's pray right now. Let's pray right now. Let's pray. You ready? All right, give me your hands. Just look at me. You don't have to look at the people. Just give me your hand, Bubba. Say this prayer to me. Dear Heavenly Father, I repent of my sin. I ask Jesus Christ to come live in my heart, to be my Lord and Savior. That I'm born again. I'm blood bought. Jesus rose from the dead, and his blood atones my sin. He is the Lord of my heart. I'm a child of God. I'm born again. In the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you, buddy. God bless you. God bless you, honey. God bless you. God, welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. This whole day was just for you. Amen. Welcome home. God bless you. 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 Why don't you, I want, I want to introduce you to my mother right there, Miss Gwen. Just go over and sit with Miss Gwen. And, and why don't you guys get with my buddy here. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Give God a big shout. Hallelujah. I just want to pray this prayer and then who, who's closing out today? I just want to, let's pray this prayer. If you could just stand with me for a moment. Just stand with me for a moment. Let's pray this prayer. If this is something you're trying to identify or you just need a nudge from God or clarity or whatever it is, or sometimes it's just a comforting peace. You don't even have to get direction. You just need the peace of God to know I'm walking in the right direction. I'm, I'm where he wants me to be. And if not, Lord, help me. Tweak me, discern me, help me hear your voice. Can we pray that prayer right now? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone here and listening and watching online. And 
I just thank you for every person, God. We're all so unique and we're your kids and we're special. I just pray, Father, for anyone that's dealing with some uncertainty, they're dealing with some anxiety or maybe they're dealing with some guilt or condemnation. Maybe they know they miss it and they gotta fix it. Just remember, the Lord wanted me to tell you, you don't fix it, you just give it to him and he helps, he fixes it with you. Or maybe everything's going great and they just need confirmation. So Lord, I pray right now that you identify gifts, call as you stir us up. We're all saved and called that are born again. And God, I just pray that we have a heart to hear you and ears to hear you and eyes to see you. That we see your perfect will for our lives, Lord. That we, it, your good acceptable is the perfect will. And that Lord, you will always be speaking into us. You will always be leading us and guiding us. And begin to let us see, let some things be drawn out of us, some things be pulled out of us so that it'll help us to identify we're on track and in our destiny. And we give you the glory in Jesus' mighty name. The church said, oh, come on. The church said, I love you. God bless you.